Hi guys, I'm David Birch. I am a covenant member here at The Well. I serve on the welcome team and I'm part of the 290 ECG. I have 1 Peter for you today. This is uh, 1 Peter 3, 8 through 22, which says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ, suff for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, church family, how you doing today? Okay, I know this is the time that you usually take your Sunday afternoon nap, but I'm going to need you to talk to me. Well, church family, how are you doing today? It is good to be with you. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My name is Andre Gray, uh, and it is an honor to be worshiping with you all on this uh, Sunday um, afternoon. Before we dive into our time in God's Word, I want to first uh, give thanks and honor to Pastor Tori uh, for the gracious invitation to be with uh, you all today, proclaiming the Word of God and the testimony of Christ Jesus. I, I love Pastor Tori. He's an incredible man of God. He's been an incredible friend to me uh, over the last year plus, and I celebrate him and thank God for his life. And so if you love your pastor like I love him, would you just put your hands together and give God a hand clap of praise for the leader of this house? So grateful for you, my friend, and thank you for having me here uh, today. I also want to take a brief moment to acknowledge my beautiful wife, Christine, who is sitting right here and is with me. This week, Wednesday, uh, we celebrate three years of blissful marriage. Come on, somebody. Oh, yeah. I am, I am excited to celebrate that with my beautiful bride, and I thank God for his grace in keeping us uh, to this point. Okay. Uh, as we get ready to hear from God and his word, could I invite you to pray for me, and I will pray for you, and we will hear, thus saith the Lord together. Is that all right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word and your son. Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to gather together as the family of God, to hear from you 
to crack open your word, and Father, to have you speak to us right where we are. What a privilege and an honor that is. And so, Father, we just pray that you would be with us. Father, you'd prepare our minds and our hearts to receive all that you would have for us, that, Father, you would be doing a work in us even now, and that, Lord, we would not leave the same way that we walked in. Lord, we trust you and believe you for all these things. And all of God's people said, amen, 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 amen. Well, I have been tasked uh, to, to grab the baton and continue the journey that you all have been on for the past few weeks in a series through the Apostle Peter's first epistle as we consider the idea of existing as exiles or outcasts in a strange or foreign land. Today, we pick up in chapter 3, verses 8 through 22 of 1 Peter. And while there is so much that we could spend time unpacking from this passage, I mean, Peter gets to a lot of good truth in here. I don't think y'all want to have all-day church today. Uh, And Stephanie and the team very wisely requested that this black preacher uh, keep it in about 30 to 35 minutes. So we're going to keep it tight, but we're going to keep it right. Is that all right? All right. We're going to take our time uh, today. Now, Pastor Tori and the team have done an incredible job of uh, providing the historical context of, of this particular letter as you've been walking through the passages leading up to the one that we're exploring today. However, I want to take a brief moment, if you would oblige me, to refresh our memories on the, the social and the historical context of the apostles' correspondence with these first century believers, because it is imperative to our understanding of what is being communicated throughout this letter and specifically in our passage today. Peter one of the 12 men who Jesus recruited to be one of his disciples during the time of his ministry and a foundational leader for the genesis of the church, finds himself at this stage in his life and ministry living within the frame of the Roman Empire. An empire that he refers to as Babylon towards the end of this letter. And this first century Babylon as the, is the same context that the Gentile Christians and the Jewish diaspora that Peter is writing to find themselves in as they are scattered across what was known as Asia Minor, now modern-day Turkey. I'm not so sure that, that we could describe this environment that the Apostle Peter and these believers are in as friendly. This is not a place or season of favor for them within this society. And the the reference to Babylon should tell us all we need to know about what the Roman Empire was like for them and how it was viewed among them. Note carefully that the suffering that they were enduring and would endure was not simply at the hands of rogue anti-Christian individuals within that society, but from the very systems and power structures that ruled that society. Under the rule of Nero, Rome was increasingly becoming more of a violent enemy than an indifferent government. This is the same Roman Empire that brutally ended the life of Peter by way of capital punishment in the form of crucifixion. The the same Roman Empire that would go on to, to brutally murder countless early Christians as the faith they held dear in the resurrected King Jesus became more and more of a threat to the imperial superpower. 
Peter describes in our passage today that, that this is the same Roman Empire within which evil and slander is being brought to the doorsteps of these ostracized believers. And it is into that context that Peter explicitly speaks to the suffering of these Gentile and Jewish Christians. And increasingly, they're facing as time goes on. However, Peter isn't simply interested in making mention of their plight, but he seems to have something uh, interesting to say to them about it. An alarming response to the assumed questions of these suffering followers of Yeshua. Yes, they are experiencing the deep pain of persecution and the, the woes of suffering, but what exactly are they supposed to do about it? How are they to respond to their circumstances, the, the people and the systemic power structures that may be inflicting it upon them? Well, I believe our passage in Peter's answer, the question, and it can be summed up in four simple words. Four words that entitle the old gospel song and four words I'd like to tag our text with today. Trouble don't last always. Trouble don't last always. Can you turn to your neighbor and say neighbor? Oh, come on. Turn to your neighbor and say neighbor. Trouble don't last always. Turn to your other neighbor and say other neighbor. Trouble don't last always. Trouble don't last always. It don't last always. This, this simple phrase that has been regularly repeated among black Christians carries with it the thunderous sermon that through your problems, that though your problems may be here today, they will not last forever. Whatever storms you might be facing, whatever trials may come your way, it too shall surely pass. As a son of black immigrants myself and subsequently a son of the black church and an institution that was born out of fire and has endured it to this day, I couldn't help but notice what seemed to be an obvious correlation between the historical context of our passage and the historical reality for many black Christians. Now, this is not to say that that black Christians uh, are exclusive in their experience of suffering, but it is to highlight the, the unique reality of, of how black Christians have responded to suffering. Peter brings to bear something that I believe the black church has beautifully embodied and that we can all be inspired by today. Black Christians have always looked to the cross and the resurrection as an exercise in hope and liberation in the midst of suffering. The author of Reading While Black, Dr. Esau Macaulay, calls this the black ecclesial tradition. That is to say, the, the biblical interpretive method in, in which black Christians in, engage the scriptures from their social location, as we all do, asking questions of the scriptures you, unique to their experience and allowing the scriptures to speak the final word. This function of biblical interpretation that 
puts its trust in the word of God and the God of the word has always been for the black Christian a practiced exercise in hope. And Peter is inviting his readers towards this the same exercise as they face all sorts of persecution and suffering and woes. And my desire is to invite all of us today towards this same exercise in hope. As we navigate the storms of life that may be here today, but surely will come tomorrow. So for the remainder of our time, I want us to consider four four realities, four things that I want us to to walk through today as we make sense of, of, of what Peter is getting at in our passage today. The reality of suffering, our suffering Savior and his vindication, baptism and our vindication to come. And finally, an invitation to an exercise in hope. Let's deal with the reality of suffering. If I'm, if I'm being honest, it's, it's not hard to read this passage and assume that, that Peter is, is quite out of his mind. Respond to evil with blessing. Have no fear. Don't get anxious. Be gentle and respectful to those who slander you. This couldn't possibly be the same Peter who pulled out a knife and cut off the ear of a Roman guard. It sounds more like a brother that ain't never been through nothing. With all that these Christian brothers and sisters are facing, it just seems like like Peter is, is disconnected from the reality of hardship. Have you ever been going through something before? Going through a trial and tribulation, life is coming at you with all that it's got. You ever got that one Christian friend that wants to tell you all about what God is going to do and how you're going to overcome and make it to the other side and how God is good? And you really don't want to hear about God being good that day. You just know you're going through it. And here Peter is looking at these Christians, dealing with all that they're dealing with, and, and his response is to tell them, to not fear, to bless those that commit evil against them, to love and to be patient and kind-hearted, to be gentle and respectful in the ways that they respond to those that slander them. This doesn't really sound like a recipe for making it through. My wife, Christine, and I, we moved to Austin, Texas from Kansas City, Missouri, January of 2020. Landed in this brand new city, no friends, no family. Two months later, the pandemic hits. And so here we find ourselves in this new city in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, ostracized from from, from everybody and any opportunities to even build relationships in this new place that we find ourselves, navigating uh, unemployment throughout the entirety of the year, uh, racial injustice and racism sort of plaguing the reality of our household with me being a black man, contracting COVID myself last year, July, uh, got hospitalized, almost died from COVID as uh, as I developed blood clots in my lungs. And if that doesn't make matters worse, a month later, my, my, my dad gets COVID and, and all of a sudden he no longer has feeling in his legs. And all of a sudden we find out that he's got major nerve damage and now he has to have major back surgery. And all of this is going on. And all I could say is if Peter's looking at me, going through all of that, 
I'm not so sure that what Peter is trying to tell me would, would land so well. I don't know what your 2020 was like, but I can almost guarantee that all of us in this room had, had some semblance of, of suffering over the last year. Life, life, life wasn't easy in 2020. Hundreds of thousands of people lost their lives due to COVID, probably some of your family members. Jobs were lost, probably some of you lost jobs. Marriages were, were being destroyed. Probably some of your marriages suffered. All of this is going on in our lives, and Peter's response to us, Peter's admonition to us is to, is to be patient. It's <laughs> to be tenderhearted and kind. It's to bless those that, that slander us. It's to, it's to have hope in the middle of, of life's greatest trials. At, at first glance, what, what Peter is talking about doesn't seem to have any relevance or be of any help. But, but if we remember who this man is, this Peter was, was, was a Jew in the Roman Empire, suffering under the realities of systemic oppression. He, he, he'd seen the, the terroristic act of crucifixion be, be utilized against Jesus, his Messiah, against non-Roman citizens who would dare to resist the Roman Empire. See, this Peter, he, he wasn't disconnected. He just had a different focus. I'm going to say that again. P Peter wasn't disconnected connected from the hardships of life. Peter just had a different focus in the middle of the hardships of life. You see, Peter knew trouble, but more importantly, Peter knew trouble don't last. Always. It was this focus on the gospel that, that fueled the hope in Peter's heart and soul. It is this same focus on a, a greater reality that has kept black Christians hopeful through the oppression of white supremacy and slavery and Jim Crow and mass incarceration and police brutality and the list goes on. And it is the same focus on the cross and the resurrection of King Jesus that will encourage all of us in Christ to have hope today. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus is the very foundation of our hope in the midst of all of life's circumstances. Whether life gives you ups or downs, whether you are blessed or not, in Christ Jesus we find all that we need. One of my favorite theologians, uh, the late, great James Cone, in his uh, uh, book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, he says it like this. He says, the gospel of Jesus is not a rational concept to be explained in a theory of salvation, but, but a story about God's presence in Jesus' solidarity with the oppressed, which led to his death on the cross. What is redemptive is the faith that God snatches victory out of defeat, life out of death, and hope out of despair. You see, verse 18 is the root of all that is springing forth from the Apostle Peter. See, the Apostle Peter knew the reality of suffering, but he also knew of the suffering Savior and his vindication. You see, Christ also suffered. 
and was put to death, but, but he was in fact made alive in the spirit. This is no ordinary hope that, that Peter has. It's a, it's a hope that is, that is grounded in the surest thing in human history. He, he died and he rose again. Right, right. This was the mission of King Jesus, to, to, to take on an enemy far greater than the Roman Empire, much stronger than any army, more, more oppressive than any corrupt governments. Jesus was prepared to take on our greatest enemy of sin and death. He was spat on and mocked. Do, do, do you know that story? He, he was clothed in scraps that they would rip off of his body. Do you know his story? He was crowned with a crown of thorns. He, he, he heard it proclaimed, crucify him. Do, do, you, do you know his story? He was, he was hung up on a wooden cross. He was laid in a borrowed tomb. A stone was used, the Bible says, to, to seal up the tomb of Jesus. And, and it says Roman guards stood watch 24-7. He laid there alone. No angels to exalt him. No, no, nobody to help him. No, no friends to console him. His, his supporters were disappointed and, and the Pharisees were elated and his disciples were afraid. Hell couldn't believe it, but the devil was glad about it. Jesus was in the grave, but on that Friday, they were crying. And on that Saturday, they were mourning. But come Sunday morning, they'd be rejoicing because early on that Sunday morning, Mary and Martha were headed to the gravesite of Jesus, the Bible tells us. But, but much to their surprise, the stone had been rolled away and the, the tomb was now empty, empty. Death had been defeated. The grave had lost its sting and sin had met its conqueror because Jesus is alive. Yeah. Jesus is alive today, my friends. And if that is true, then there is no trial you could face. There is no oppression that could come over you. There is no corruption that could thwart you. There is nothing that can stop you from standing firm in the hope and the foundation of the death, burial, and resurrection of King Jesus. If he could conquer the grave, then there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that he cannot defeat. But the good news the really good news for you and I today is not simply the fact that, that Jesus uh, uh, died and rose again. It's not simply the fact that he went, underwent one of the greatest uh, 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 realities of oppression and was vindicated by the Father. The good news for you and I today is that we get to share in it. What Jesus did was not for Jesus alone. What Jesus did was, was for you and I. Jesus went through what he went through, endured all he endured, and got the victory for you and I today. And so here is the good news, that you and I share in this victory, that, that it's not only that our Savior suffered and that our Savior was vindicated, but that we suffer and will suffer. But hear me and hear me clearly, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we will be vindicated. No matter what life has stolen from you, no matter what the enemy has tried to do to stop you, no matter what life has thrown your way, let it be known that vindication is coming. Yeah. 
that Jesus is in fact coming back. And you and I who are in Christ have a promise that we too will be vindicated. P- Peter in our passages, as he's talking about this, this reality of baptism and he's, he's talking about, about Noah and the flood and it all sounds con- confusing at first read. But, but what Peter is trying to tell us is that baptism serves as a symbol that points to our coming resurrection. That, 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 that in our baptism, we are saying that we have died with Christ and we, in fact, will be raised again just like him. That, that we, in fact, will have a bodily resurrection, that we will see the glorified body, that, that all the tears and all the pain and all that we went to will not be for naught because we will live forever with our king. You see, this future reality that has been promised to us is what empowers us to respond to present circumstances in a peculiar way. Hear that again. This future reality. Oftentimes, we, we wanna, we, we, we're tempted to focus on our present reality. What's happening to us today? I don't know what I'm going to put on my food on the table to eat for the kids today. I don't know where I'm going to get that check to pay the rent today. I don't know how I'm going to make it through today. I don't know if my health is going to be good enough for me to make it through today. And we continue to focus on this present reality. But what Jesus and what Peter is trying to get at for us in this passage is that our main focus should be tomorrow. Not today. It's not to say that we ought to ignore today, but it's to say that today is not most important. That when you look at today in light of tomorrow, then today don't seem that bad. Because you know that today won't last forever. If you believe that what you are going through today is all that life has for you, is all that you will go through. If you believe that that this is the the full reality of your life, then you have no reason to hope. That you have all the reason in the world to despair. You have all the reason in the world to go crazy. But if you know that there is a coming tomorrow that there is a greater reality, that there is a truer reality on the other side of glory, then you will look at today as nothing more, as Paul describes it, than a light, momentary affliction. That no matter what comes your way, no matter what the enemy tries to throw at you, because of this future reality, like Paul, you and I can say that this suffering, whatever it is that we're going through, whatever it is that we're facing, is a light, momentary affliction. But but what's even greater is that we don't just get to endure through suffering, but, but believers get to thrive in suffering. One of my favorite quotes of all time comes from an old church mother. Her name is Mother Pullard, and, and she, was, she was actively engaged in the, the Montgomery bus boycotts that Dr. King was leading. And, and there was this news station that, that interviewed her and asked her about her journey of, of walking to work and walking home every day. This older church mother, every day. And participating in this boycott would walk to work and walk home every day. And the news anchor asked her, well, what keeps you going? How are you dealing with this boycott? What is going on in you? And Mother Puller's response was simple but profound. She said, my feet is tired. Oh, but my soul is rested. My feet is tired, but my soul 
is rested. Hear me. Hear me, brothers and sisters in Christ. No matter what it is that we are going through, no matter how painful it may be, and it will be painful at times, no, no matter how trying it may be, and it will be trying at times, we, like Mother Pullard, are able to say that we may ache now. We, we, we may ache in our earthly bodies, but, but rest assured that our souls that belong to God and to God alone are as rested as they will ever be in Christ Jesus. And the day is coming when our feet will be tired no more. That's, that's the hope that you and I have. That is the hope that Peter is trying to, 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 to infuse in the lives of these Christians. This is the, the vision that he's casting for them is, is to know. I, I, Peter is saying, I, I know what you're going through. I know what you're facing. I, I recognize what's going on. I understand it all, but still, bless those who persecute you. Love on those who would slander you. Be gentle and respectful and kind to those who would seek to do you harm. Why? Why would Peter, why would Peter ask them to do that. What, what, what would be the motivation for that? Peter is inviting these Christians to actively exercise their hope. Hear me. The hope that you and I have is not a passive hope. It is an active hope. And Peter is asking these believers, he is drawing them into that reality. And he's saying, don't just sit on the by and by and say that tomorrow will come, and I'm just going to sort of, sort of, sort of uh, seclude myself from the rest of society up on until Jesus returns. No, he says, he says, engage with the society in front of you. Engage with your neighbors. In, engage with the Roman Empire. Engage with all that comes your way, but do it with gentleness. Do it with kindness. Do, do, do it with patience. Uh, do, do it with what love. Why? Because this, 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 this active exercise in hope does two things. It serves to bear witness to Jesus despite our suffering. Do you hear that? Our suffering can serve as a witness to Jesus. What is the witness? That the greater treasure and the truest hope of the world is found in him. You see, you see if, if, if the world takes your money, your response can say that this is not my greatest treasure, and this is not my truest hope. If, if, the, if the world takes uh, your family, you can say that this is not my greatest treasure, and this is not my truest hope. If, if the world tries to try to take your own life, you can say with confidence, this is not my greatest treasure, and this is not my truest hope. Jesus is the greatest treasure that any of us could ever hold. He is the truest hope that any of us could ever have. And here's the good news for you and I today. There isn't a devil in hell that can snatch Jesus out of the palm of your hands. There's a lot that the world can take from you. There's a lot that the enemy can steal. There's a lot that can be lost in this world. But Jesus, for those of us that have them, can be never lost. He is forever. He is ours forever. And so if the, if the greatest treasure and the truest hope to be had in Jesus is ours for the taking, for those of us that have put our trust in, in, in the work of Jesus Christ, then what do we have to fear? What else is there for us to do other than to serve as a witness to this treasure and to this hope?
And so your suffering is not, is, is not fruitless. It is not pointless, but, but it serves a purpose. That in Jesus, we have an opportunity to wield the sword of our suffering towards the good of the kingdom of God. To demonstrate to the world around us that there is something greater still. While they're shuffling for riches and spoils and and political power and all the things that the world grasps for, we as the body of Christ get to say, it's not the greatest that's, that's not the greatest thing that we could get after. The greatest thing that you and I could hold, we already have, and his name is Jesus Christ. But, Jesus is, but our suffering not only serves as a witness to Jesus, but hear me, Jesus' suffering serves as an answer to our fears, our tears, and our rage. Right? Let's not pretend as though suffering doesn't bring with it some plight. Let's not pretend that suffering doesn't bring with it fear and, 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 and tears and sadness and, and anger and frustration. It does. But Jesus' is suffering, his story, what he went through, it serves as an answer to that reality. Our suffering is not in vain. It will not ultimately destroy us, and justice will be realized in the end. And so no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through, our fears, our tears, and our rage find their answer in Jesus. Dr. Esau Macaulay, again from that book, Reading While Black, and the chapter that he entitles Black Rage, what are we to make? What are black Christians who have gone through what they've gone through, who have endured all that they have endured, what are they to make of of the rage that that, that comes with that sort of suffering? I want you to follow along with me. It's a long quote, but I think it's a powerful and important one if we can grasp what Dr. McCauley is trying to get at here. That is not only true for black Christians, but true for us all. He says, the cross of Jesus Christ is not an intellectual apologetic that allows black Christians to say that we now understand the whip and chain in the wider scope of God's purposes. We do not believe that our slavery was intended for the salvation of America. We do not hold to some broken and distorted application of Joseph's story. No, what happened to the enslaved and their descendants in this country was and remains an unmitigated evil. But how does God respond to our cries? He does not respond in a series of syllogisms rooted either in the freedom of the will or or the majesty of his sovereignty. In other words, God does not say to us that because there is free will, some people will abuse that free will and do evil things like slavery. That might be one intellectual defense of evil in the Christian tradition, but historically that has not been the means by which black Christians processed our oppression. Neither has God often responded to us in the way that he responded to Job, merely revealing his sovereign glory and silencing our questions. God, in his mercy, has allowed us to continue to voice our complaints. On this side of the passion and resurrection, Black anger and black pain is answered personally by the truly human one. We have found solace in the fact 
that God responds to black suffering with a profound act of identification with our suffering. I speak of Jesus, Dr. McCauley says, of an identification with the human condition that compels us to say, who, being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a slave in the likeness of humanity and being found in the form of a human, he humbled himself, becoming obedient unto death, even death upon the cross. So what is God's first answer to black suffering? And the wider human suffering and the rage that comes alongside it. And I would even say the the tears and the fears. It is to enter that suffering alongside us as a friend and a redeemer. The answer to black rage is the calming words of the word made flesh, the incarnation that comes all the way down even unto death. It has been enough for us to say, yes, God, we trust you. Friends today, no matter what you're facing, I want you to know that you serve a God who identifies with your suffering. No matter what life may bring at you tomorrow, I want you to remember and hold on to the truth that Christ identifies with your suffering. He is not a disconnected God, but he is an embodied one who knows what it is like to go through something, to feel pain, to have fear, to have tears, and yet find hope. In their song, Shall Not Want, by Chandler Moore, Maverick City, writes these lyrics that I'd like to close out our time with today. It says, and when this life is over, I'm going to live again. I'm going to trade this cross for a crown. No, this is not the end. And when you call my name, I will take my rest. There's a mansion in glory. And he's going to meet us there. Let's pray. Father, we are what a magnificent truth for us to hold on to this morning. What an incredible promise that you have given us in your son, Jesus. That, Father, we as your children can go through life's greatest trials and tribulation and yet find hope. That, Father, all we need is in you. That in the finished work of Jesus, in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we find all the hope that we would ever need to have in this world. And Father, we thank you for that. It is not something that we have earned, but it is a gift that you have given and have allowed us to freely receive. And so Father, for those of us that have tasted of the goodness of who you are, would you help us to remember that taste today? To remember what it is like to know of the magnificent future reality that you have secured for us in Jesus' resurrection. 
And Father, for those in the room and that may be watching that, that do not know of that good taste of Jesus, Father, would you give them a taste today? Would you give them a taste of, of the goodness of God and the, the promise that, that, they can, that they can receive in you to not bank all their hopes on today, but to rest in the secured future of tomorrow in you? Father, would you do that work? Would you help us to hold fast to that reality? And to believe, believe all that you have promised us. Father, we love you. We thank you and we pray for all of these things in your good name. Amen.